Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. He knows where you live. He knows your hurts. He knows the things that are not fair. He even knows the hairs on your head. And he has a new name for us. In today's message, Pastor Randy reminds us how necessary it is to consider who has authority and sway in our lives. It's all part of our summer series from the New Testament book of Revelation. Turn in your Bible now to chapter 2, verse 12. Here's Pastor Randy. Open your Bibles up, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. We're going to stand and read this. I'm going to have you stand a couple times in the sermon today. I'm going to read this. To the angel of the church at Pergamum. And by the way, I will say Pergamum three or four different ways today. I'm from Kentucky. It's a big, tough word, okay? So you can just mark that down. Pergamum, right? The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And may God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. As we're going through Revelation, I'm gonna to continue to add to a word list. And the, the first word list is there in your grace notes today as you follow along. And here's the first thing on that word list is Revelation, apocalypse. Now, sometimes we misunderstand something that we see. We see something, and it's not what we think it was. My daughter Elizabeth took our black lab to Harbin's Park the other day. She took her off the leash, let her jump into the river. Now, that's what labs are made for, right? They're made to hit the water. Any of you guys have retrievers? I mean, they love water. Don't, I mean, they just love water. But they also, they're hunting dogs, so they go to the woods. So she ran into the woods. The next thing you know, Someone screams out, there's a bear in the woods. And all over Harbin's Parker screams, there's a bear in the woods. It wasn't. That's seeing something that it wasn't. But then there's sometimes we use words and those words are not accurately used. We, a word takes on a meaning that is something different. And Anigo Montoya points this out in Princess Bride. Watch this. You got very good arms. Fall? Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Inconceivable does not mean what he thinks it means. Nor does revelation most of the time. The word apocalypse doesn't mean a bad thing at the very end. That's the way we continually use that word. It's a really bad thing at the end. That's not what the word means. The word means to see something in light of something bigger. This is seeing the end of the world as we know it in the light of something bigger. And what that bigger is, is the love of God. Literal, a word or idea expressing in practical application and imminent aspects, imminent being close. 
figurative, a word or idea expressing theoretical application, and yonder aspects. You thought yonder was a redneck word. It's not. No, yonder means, yonder means it's far off, but you can still see it. You can't understand it, but it's far off. That's literally what the, the figurative means. It's real, it's true, but we, don't, we can see it, but we don't understand it. And then the definition of Jesus, risen, glorified son of God, ministering one, faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler over the kings of the earth, alpha and omega. If you remember, alpha is spelled out in Revelation. It's the letter, but the word alpha, but omega is just a letter. He's describable, but he's indescribable. He is the beginning and the end, the one, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty, the lamb on the throne, dot, dot, dot. There's more and more and more names. We're gonna get to that in just a second. And then the word beloved, that as we read that, or loved one, that's us. That's the definition that you'll find in the book of Revelation. It shapes everything about it. This church at Pergamum, it was, Pergamum was, a, was an area that rose to prominence after the death of Alexander the Great, 323 BC. It was a city that had all kinds of natural resources. The area, the region was powerful in terms of its military, but more so in terms of its agriculture. As a matter of fact, it, it combined two seas. It had ports on two different seas. It was the land bridge that everyone wanted. And in 133 BC, one of the kings basically gave this to the Roman government, said, we wanna be a part of all of Rome. It was a way to avoid war. They became in somewhat a servant to the Roman government. And, the, and the, the groves there were so amazing that this is actually what the Caesar in 92 AD said, you've gotta cut all of your groves down because nobody's buying Italian wine. No one would touch Italian wine because the wine from Pergamum was so good, people were importing it all over the world and, and, the, and the bottles were just sitting, were just sitting there, there in, uh, in, in Italy. No one wanted it. They cut, they cut the trees down. The soil's black with richness. It, it could grow things so well. Fruits and vegetables grow so well in Turkey. It's just a naturally rich region. So it had a lot of things going for it. And this is a church. It's the northernmost church. This church that, that we find beginning in verse 12, he says to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, a lot of times as you're going through Revelation, the words will have been defined already for you. The one who has the sharp two-edged sword is rather obvious. It's like that commercial where it's, it's these two kids picking for, for a pickup basketball game. There's a little boy and a little girl. And the boy says, like, I want Stevie. And the girl says, I'll take Barkley. And Barkley's like, yeah, I still got it. It's kind of obvious if you're playing pickup basketball with a bunch of 10-year-olds, you're taking Charles Barkley. This is an obvious thing right here. This is really obvious who this is. It's also obvious that he is the one that is in power. He is the bearer of the sword. You have to ask yourself this question, whose words do I believe in my life? Who has sway in my life? Who has authority in my life? It's a great question to ask yourself on a frequent basis. Stop and say, who's got sway in my life? I have talked to so many parents and I've read so many articles in the last year. So many of our kids, specifically young girls, the voice that's in their life is voices that are online. It's telling them what their dignity and their worth is. It's not true. It's not real. Who has that voice in your life? 
Is it a voice from when you were 10 years old? Is it a voice of a parent? Is it a voice of someone who spoke a curse over you at some point? Is it, is it a voice that maybe you say to yourself, who has voice? This is what it says in Hebrews 4.12. The word of God, this is the sharp two-edged sword. The word of God is living and active. What Jesus is going to speak is always going to be consistent with this. Jesus is never gonna tell you something in your spirit that's inconsistent with this. Living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates soul and spirit. It cuts through very much even to the marrow, discerning the thoughts, intersections of the heart. No creature's hidden. Here's the translation. I'm talking now. Jesus steps in the room. There's all kinds of voices. There's no more duplicity. This is the voice that we have to listen to today. Can I get an amen, church? There's an accounting that's done. All of us must give account. But this church's account is in the midst of the fury. They are dwelling in the fury. They're in a war, verse 13. I know where you dwell. He knows your address. He knows what goes on there. He knows the challenges you face in life. He knows what it's like for you at the water cooler. He knows what it's like for you in the locker room. He knows the unfairness that you've had. He knows the pains you've had. He knows what it's like at 2 a.m. in your house when you can't sleep. He knows where you dwell. And for this church where Satan's throne is, he'll say this two distinct ways here, but it's the same statement. Yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who is killed among you where Satan dwells. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. According to Greek mythology, Pergamum was the birthplace of Zeus. And at Pergamum, there was a 150-foot throne to Zeus. Sacrifice was made there of the worst kind. There's kids in the room. What went on there in terms of worship was typical of Greek culture with, with people brought in to help celebrate. Again, there's kids in the room. I think you know what I'm talking about. It was a horrendous place. And what was going on there was indicative of the rest of that city. There was worship of every idol you could imagine. There was Dionysus, who was the god of sensuality. So dark was, was what happened there that people would lose their lives in the midst of it. People, people's lives would be taken in the midst of what would happen there in that temple. There was Bacchus, the god of drunkenness. They had a god of drunkenness. Now, you would have a hard case to make that alcohol, wine, in and of itself, is, is a sin. You would have a hard case to make that biblically. God may have led you to that. That may be a weakness in your life. It may be a weakness in your family. God may have led you towards that. Jesus made real wine. It was real wine. The story of the wine and the wineskins doesn't work. Without that, the story of Jesus making wine at the first wedding doesn't work. Alcohol, in and of itself, is not a sin. On the other hand, drunkenness is demonic. This is what it says. This is what it literally says. The word drunkenness, the word drunk, is the same root word as possession. That's why Paul says don't be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled. Don't be captured. Don't be held captive by this, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Totally the same type of thing. Only one of those controls you and destroys you, and one of those fills you. They had a God for that. There's Asclepian, the, the healing God. You would be put into a state of intoxication, whether it was through 
pharmaceuticals or, or alcohol, and they would take you and lay you on a floor and have snakes crawl over you. <laughs> You'd get better or die, you know, <laughs> if, if that was me. That's actually still, that God, that Greek God is still the medical symbol of today. That it still has bearing even on our culture today. There was Athena, the God of wisdom, but the temple of Trajan was the temple to the emperor. Trajan was the ultimate of all temples. In every one of these cities, it was the Roman cult that was bigger than everything else. The emperor was God above all gods. The, the God who had come to earth and they would use terms like king of kings and lord of lords and savior in terms of these emperors. They had the power of the sword. Antipas in 92 AD, the, the church historian Tertullian tells us that Antipas was, was put inside of a metal cow, a brass cow and taken to the temple of Zeus and killed. He was the leader of the church. He was a doctor. He was a physician a good man. No charge was against him except his faith. He, they said, renounce your faith and you live. And he would not renounce his faith. He stood firm. And he said, you, I know where you dwell. I know that this is the place where you are. This has cost you even your leader. This, you've been a faithful church. Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear those him who can destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He knows where you live. He knows your hurts. He knows the things that are not fair. He even knows the hairs on your head. And some of us make life easier for God. But he knows. He knows. The names of Jesus that we read here in Revelation are direct attacks Direct in, directly in conflict with the Greek gods and the gods that, that the Romans had of that day. Jesus was, was known as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He will be no wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These are words that the Romans tried to steal, but the names of Jesus are in direct conflict with that. It's very much what happened in Egypt. The plagues went against those Egyptian gods. Every single one of the plagues was a direct confrontation that we wage not war against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. There's a spiritual war going on. We can't get drawn in to thinking that the people around us are the enemy and not the prize. He's saying this. As a matter of fact, you're gonna see this even more directly in just a second. In Philippians 2, we're gonna spend some time in this next week. The, the great song that, that was in Philippians that exalted who Jesus was at the name of Jesus. Every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Even in the midst of that great praise, this passage that talks about Jesus putting aside some of his power to come to earth, humbling himself, even to a cross. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore, my beloved, we, he knows where you dwell. He knows the things that you go through. He knows all of those things. And then he says this, but I have a few things against you. This is Balaam and his blank. You gotta fill in the blank, but wait on it just a second. It might not be what you think. I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they may eat food sacrificed to idols 
and practice sexual immorality. This is the story, Numbers chapter 22. You know this. There's a picture of it in your, in your grace notes there. The, there's, there's Balaam and his donkey. We, we grew up with that. That was a great flannel board story, wasn't it? Remember flannel boards? You guys that don't have flannel boards, I'm telling you, you are missing out. I, I, know, we got, I know we got high def 3D, you know, 1080p QRXZ screen and everything here, but, but I'm telling you that none of these things, my mama could rock a flannel board. I'm telling you, that woman could, she could make that thing come alive. And Balaam was a great flannel board. As a matter of fact, I think this is like a flannel board picture right here. Balaam's going to curse God's people. He was a prophet for hire. Not really a prophet of God. He was a prophet for hire. And Balak was gonna go to war against God's people. The Moabites were gonna go to war against God's people. He said, I gotta curse these people. I gotta get a prophet from their own people to curse them, and then we'll win the war. Donkey's going down the road, and like the donkey in Shrek, this one could talk, because he turns and he's, and, and he's like, after he's been beating him, he's like, do you not see that guy right there? We're gonna both get killed. I ain't worried about you, but I ain't gonna get killed. But you know what? That doesn't turn Balaam around. He goes on. He's on a mountain three times. He tries to curse God's people, and he says, he just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. You know what he does? He goes to Balak, the Moabite king. He goes, I got a better plan. I can't curse him. I can't. This is what you do. You go get your women, and you just seduce them. Bring them into the tents. They'll do anything you want. We have tents today. It's screens. Seduce them. They'll lose their voice. They'll lose their power. They'll lose their ability to speak. That's, that's, that lie, that plot, that plan is as old as history. so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols. Listen, this was never about your stomach. Paul answered this. If this gets sacrificed to idols over here and it gets taken to the meat market, you can eat it. But you don't go into that temple and you don't participate in that rite of worship towards that God. That's different. This is a feast towards that. My people will be different. My people are not going to be like that, but, but you have you are holding the teachings of Balaam. You're, you're allowing this part of your life to take away from the worship that I have, the worship I should have. And he says, you've allowed these controlling leaders to come and bring disconnectedness to you. Verse 15, you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. The word Nicolaitans literally means this. It means controlling the laity. It means these were people who came in. This was cult behavior. Whenever you have a cult, this is what you always watch for. You have, a, you have leaders who tell you everything to do, not based on God's word, but based on their interpretation of it. They control you and they tell you what to do. Here's the second thing with the Nicolaitans. This happens every time. Wherever you have bad theology, orthodoxy, you have bad orthopraxy. Wherever you have bad orthodoxy, you have bad orthopraxy. They said this, you can do anything you want with your body, anything you want, as long as your heart loves God. We're there today, church. We're there today. You can do anything you want. 
as long as you love God, as long as you show up at church and lift your hands and worship, you can act like the rest of the world all week long and it doesn't matter. And this is what he's saying. That's the Nicolaitans. That's not truth. But watch this. Repent. Stop going this way. Go back this way. Repent doesn't mean I'm so, so sorry. Repent means change. It means turn. Go in the right direction. Look at this. If not, I will come to you soon and wage and, and war. Some translations are wage war, sorry. War against, what's the pronoun right there? Listen, pronouns matter in life, hugely. What's the pronoun right there? Does it say against you? No. What's it say? Them. I will wage war against them. If you continue to follow this path, I will wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. You can speak the truth or I'll have to do it. It is not my job to go down Grace and New Hope Road, New Hope Road, Bramlett Shoals, and knock on every door. Bramlett Shoals would take me a long time. And knock on every door and say, is there sin in this house? That's not my job. My job is to be up here and bring God's word and say to you, is there sin in this house? Because this is what he says. If we do not do the things he calls us to do, it has a direct bearing on our community. Our community is impacted by the holiness that he has within his churches. This is what he says, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You know what he doesn't say? If the whole city humbles itself and prays. He doesn't say that. There is a direct bearing on the community based on the way that we conduct ourselves. Do we love God? Do we love each other? Do we treat people, the poor, the oppressed? How do we treat people? How are we? How do we act? How are we towards each other? Is there holiness in the way that we live? Is our, are our relationships the way that we should be? Which brings me to this statement of orthopraxy. We have statements of orthodoxy on our webpage. We also have statements of orthopraxy, how we live that out. We have a statement on God's word. It's the first one that we have. It's, it's we believe God's word's authoritative. If I have some move of the Holy Spirit that goes against this, we this weighs, this weighs over that, always. We believe that, we, be, we have a statement on marriage. We believe what Jesus said, that in the beginning God made them male and female. Very different. Not, women are not above or below, um, in front of, behind, underneath. They're beside, one who is beside me. That's what it means. It, it's that, that we have a statement on marriage that says that God made them. Now look, we have a simple, just intellectual choice in life. You are either a bunch of chemicals somehow wound together through a process we can't fully explain on a, on a round missile flying through the atmosphere around a fairly insignificant star in an ever-expanding universe which had a beginning and therefore will have an end, a sun that will eventually burn out, and life as we know it ends, we're either that or we are made. 
I like option B. We are made. We are formed. There are no mistakes. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what challenges you may be wrestling with. You are made. Your, your biology was knit together inside your mother's womb, and you have dignity and value the way that you were made. And if you, and thank you, if, if you were made male all the way down to your DNA, it will always scream that out. And if you were made female, it will always scream that out. And that's not a mistake. And if you're confused about that and you're 13 years old, listen, who didn't feel weird at 13? If you don't feel weird at 13, you're weird, okay? Let God, let the one who made you shape those feelings. Not the internet. But we're not at war with people that disagree. They're the prize, not the enemy. Not the enemy. It's real important. We have a statement about women. We believe that women have dignity and value. We believe women have gifts. They, they can do things. They're, they're allowed to have leadership in this church. We have a statement that we're adding today. A statement about Division, the lack of it, what we're moving towards, about ethnicity. And I want to say before I read this, it's in your grace notes. I'd like you to look at it. Before we read this together, and I'm actually going to ask you to stand in just a second as we read this, I want to, I want to be really clear. As a church, you guys have lived this out in the last year. You guys have, have journeyed with us as leaders. You've We've gone places. We've gone uh, last, last year on June 19th. We went and stood with 13,000 other believers. We were on the news for like 20 seconds, weren't we? Um, but we stood with 13,000 other believers and we marched to say we're, we're one people. We're not gonna be divided based on how much melanin we have. You guys have, you guys, listen, thank you. Thank you. I mean that sincerely. Um, what God's doing here is not the norm. It should be. Because we're not looking for equality. We're looking for a whole lot more than that. We're looking for family. We're not looking just for fairness. We're looking for family. Because when he comes back, he's going to gather us all together. We might as well get together in the beginning. Make it a whole lot easier when he comes back. When he comes back, he's going to be like, why are y'all over there and why are y'all over there? You're supposed to be together. Why are you doing that? So if you would stand with me, I want to read this. I haven't gotten, I've, done, I've read through this eight times. I've not done it without crying. We'll see. How do we live out God's heart for justice among peoples of diverse ethnicities, generations, and cultures? We see our world's profound need for healing among diverse peoples. And we are committed to labor in the present towards God's promised future, a redeemed community bound together by the love of Christ and representing every nation, ethnicity, race, and language. That's not something we came up with that's in the Bible. As a family of churches, we recognize we cannot accomplish Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations without engaging multi-ethnic discipleship and real cross-cultural friendship. These relationships are built upon our recognition of universal human dignity. 
and repentance from universal rejection of God's design that results in dehumanization, structures of inequality, and even enslavement of others. While this may seem an improbable task, the Apostle Paul tells us that the reconciling work of Jesus Christ tears down hostility. It opens the way to create in himself one new humanity. Therefore, within our church communities, we refuse to tolerate any kind of racial or ethnic discrimination, bias, or prejudice beyond the church. We are compelled by the love of Christ to fight injustice wherever we find it as we serve and speak out on behalf of the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable, and the forgotten. And finally, we will persevere in this work, no matter the difficulty, because we are confident that in the not-too-distant future, Jesus will return to judge justly, to wipe away every tear, and to make all things new. You can be seated. I'm almost done because we do that because there is an after party. There's an after party. You've ever been, you know, you get invited to the the wedding, but then there's the after party, the reception. You, You get invited to go to a big awards banquet, but then Toby Mack comes up and says, hey, you wanna come backstage and hang with us? It's the after party. There's an after party. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. You've given up business. It's cost you friendships. It's cost you opportunities. You've been left at home on Friday night. He says, I'll give you. I'll provide for you. I'll give you what you need. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. In the time of Greek culture, extending on to the Romans, if you did something really special, they'd come and they'd knock on your door. They'd say, I got, a, I got an invitation from the emperor for you. Have your name on it. Piece of marble polished. Have your name on it. This is yours. You're, you, can, you can come to this. It's, it's next Saturday, and you walk up to the emperor's palace, and there's Roman guards there, and they're looking at you, and they say, this is a private party. Oh, yes, sir, come in. Yes, ma'am, come in. You have a white stone. It's got your name on it. It's not transferable. Can't give it to somebody else. Hey, I got tickets to the SEC championship. It doesn't have my name on it. Give it to anybody. No, this has got your name on it. You're the only one that gets this. But look what he says here. You don't just get the white stone. You have a, a new name written on the stone. You don't think that the Christians in Pergamum had, had not had some names called towards them? We've all got those names, don't we? 
Maybe it was when you were 10 years old. Maybe it was when you were older. Maybe it's a name you've given yourself. Unsuccessful. Harmed, damaged. Maybe it's worse than that even. Not measuring up. The least of my family. Flawed. One of my favorite stories is called Tales of the Kingdom by David Maines. It's a book. It's great for kids ages four through 94. And in it, there's lots of characters, but the one I want to tell you about today, he, he grew up an orphan and he lived in Enchanted City. And in the kingdom, there was Enchanted City and that was a part of a bigger kingdom. But if you lived in Enchanted City, you didn't know that. You only thought it was Enchanted City. You thought that's all there was. But Enchanted City was actually part of a kingdom. And there was another part of the kingdom called Great Park. And that's where the king and, and, his, and his son, the prince, and caretaker who cared for all the rangers lived. And the rangers who did the work of the king, they all lived there. And there was inmost circle where they would come and they would gather and they would worship the king and they would develop their strategies for going to Enchanted City and to rescue people from Enchanted City that were under the power of the enchanter. Because the enchanter told people they had no hope. As a matter of fact, he had his own his own minions who would go around, these big soldiers, they would go around, they were called naysayers, and up until the age that you became an adult, they would just simply say, nay, 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 nay. In any moment you had a thought of encouragement or hope, they would be there. They knew where you were. They knew where you dwelled. They would come and say, nay, 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 nay. And when you got to a certain age, you would get the brand, and the brand was this, you now belong to the enchanter. And once you were branded, you thought there was no hope of ever getting away. And this young boy, this orphan, it became time for the branding. And they came and they held him down. But he knew deep in his heart he was not belonging to the enchanter. And he turned away when the brand came. And he said, I don't belong here. But they held him and they branded him but because he turned, it hit him on the face. And the enchanter was there, and in his wicked voice, he said, you will be known forever as Scarboy because you were afraid to take the brand. He grew up, he heard those names, Scarboy, Scarboy, from adults, from children, from little children, from his friends. He was alienated, he was isolated, and one morning, he knew that his mother had said, listen, there is so much more than this place. And he made his way across the meadow where the enchanter said was certain death, but it was not certain death. And rangers came and they found him there and they took him and they fed him and they put a uniform on him and they said, you are now a ranger. And he said, I always knew there was hope. I always knew there was more. Who told you? My mother. And the ranger commander smiled and said, yes, she was a ranger. She was undercover in the enchanted city. And he said, this is great. Oh, we're not done. 
and they took him to inmost circle, and there were millions there, and the king could be seen. He was distant, but he was visible. And the king motioned, and he knew it was to him. And the boy, Scarboy, made his way up. And the king said, what is your name? And he said, Scarboy. And the king said, that's the last time that name will be spoken. That's not your name. You see, here, you're not named for your weaknesses or your wounds. You're named for your heroism. And you knew that didn't belong. Your new name is Hero. That's your name. What name would you write on your rock? And what name would God write on your rock? What's that new name? But we have a God who knows where we dwell, even if it's in the middle of Satan's throne. And in some, some days it feels like that. We have a God who knows the challenges that we walk through, the hurts that we have. We have a God who knows the names that we would write on the stone. But he says, no, I got a new name for you. And it sounds a lot more like hero than Scarboy. Do you guys stand with me? Lord Jesus, I pray in your name. The name that's above every name. The name that is exalted the name that we need, that we would never, ever forget that you have called us as a church into this special time in this special place to, to step into the lives of kids and bring integrity, trust. Lord, that you've called us as a church to bridge gaps that have not been bridged before that we would not be separated based on if we're a man or a woman or if our skin is darker or not. That we would hold marriage as the way you hold it. You say it's this picture of our relationship with you, that we are people that are made, not just, not just discovered, we are made. And all of that is done because we are your beloved. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Come. Amen. We have a God who knows where we dwell, the challenges we face, and he's even given us a new name. Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.